live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with some thoughts on championship weekend. In fact, in a way, kind of bigger than that. The most controversial figure in the NFL playoffs so far. In fact, I'll even walk that back. Who would you think or who would you say is the most controversial, polarizing figure in the NFL playoffs so far? Aside from Eli Apple, who's speaking of walking things back. Aside from Eli Apple, who would you say it is? Well, I'm going to say it's this guy, and I'm going to say this guy got a nice, fresh, swift slap in the face this AM. I'm talking about the Philly bro coaching the Philly Eagles, Nick Sirianni. He might have just spent the vast majority of the regular season as the Vegas favorite to win the AP NFL Coach of the Year. However, this morning he found out he's not even a finalist. The actual finalists for Coach of the Year are Kyle Jr. Lobster Shanahan, adopted brother of James Big Big Head Kelly, Brian, that dude, Dable, and Doug, not Pervin Liar, Peterson. Yet another L for you, Perv, but happy hump day, dude. That's devastating. Heartbreaking. Hump day. So Sirianni's not even a finalist. Naturally, Philly fan is freaking furious. And probably spelling freaking and furious with P's and H's, because of course they're freaking furious. They're freaking Philly fan. Philly fan this morning sounds like Philly fan every morning. You know, essentially a hybrid of Jason Kelsey and Mark in Hollywood. No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly. Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. Hey, listen, the song song is ionic. Ionic. The victory speech is ionic. Ionic. Jason Kelsey is ionic. Ionic. Mark's call on Friday was ionic. Ionic. But Philly fan, you got to admit, you do care. You do care. I can't argue with the no one likes us part, but you do care. At least a little. You know you do. Now, I want to be very clear about this. Personally, I like you. Period. Period. I do. No punchline coming. No setup. I like you. There are countless reasons why I like you, so don't ever get it twisted. I'm not sucking up to you. I really do like you. However, I can only speak for me. That's just me. I'm just one person. Everybody else, yeah, I'm not so sure they're on board. In fact, it's hard to deny the no one likes us part because people really do not like Philly or this Philly football team or especially this Philly football coach, probably because this dude is the most Philly bro ever to coach an NFL team, much less that team. Like, Nick Sirianni believes 
and behaves on the sidelines exactly like some South Philly bro would if they pulled him down from the nosebleeds and gave him a headset and a laminated play call sheet. And let's just say it's rubbing some people the wrong way. I know he doesn't give a damn. In fact, he revels in it. But he's rubbing some people the wrong way, and unfortunately, it's people who matter. You can tell me they don't matter, but they do. Because some of the people that he clearly is rubbing the wrong way would include the AP voters. And, of course, social media degenerates. So whether you want to call it a coach of the year snub or not, nobody can deny this guy's done a damn good job this this season. Frankly, amazing that a dude that sounded like this at his intro presser was ever even in a coach of the year conversation. Next thing that's very important to me is that we build a smart football team, that we have a smart football team here. And I know we have the, the people in place to do that. The first part of that, the first part of being smart is knowing what to do. We're going we're gonna to know, we're going to have systems in place that are easier to learn. All right, complicated to the defense or offense that they're going against or the special teams group they're going against, but easy for us to learn. Because when we can put that, because we, when we can learn our system and we can get good at our system, then our talent can take over. Less thinking equals talent take over, but we need to have systems in place, and we will have systems in place to do so. It's like this dude is like this Adderall-addicted, hyperactive robot that short-circuited and then just started saying all these things out of order. Systems. Or he was Ray Ray in Tampa. I don't talk smack. I smack talkers. I, 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 uh, uh, your mama, uh. The incredible thing is, it turns out that that dude does actually know a thing or two about, quote, smart football. And so far, his, quote, systems are working systems and talent take over like I can't knock the guy for that in fact I'm shocked that that guy who showed up like that at that intro presser really not that long ago is now this guy doing what he's doing apparently playing rock paper scissors or patty cake or pull my finger with draft prospects does in fact work rock paper scissors let's see how competitive you are I mean, it's all working. Problem is, dude is writing checks. Checks that maybe his mouth can't cash. I mean, kind of obnoxious, borderline, insufferable checks. And all I can say is, so far they've cleared, but they better keep clearing. Because what he's doing is, he's walking that thin clown line. It all plays as long as the team is winning. And they are. But catch an L, and all of a sudden he's the NFL's biggest clown. If the Eagles blow it on Sunday, then Sirianni will be eating a big bowl of horse crap. And no, I don't mean in the celebratory Philly tradition. I just mean he will be catching heat and getting dunked on from absolutely every direction outside of Philly. The thing is, the flip side, if he wins... He is going to be feeding everybody else that big bowl of horse crap. And again, Philly fan, don't get jealous. Eating a bowl of crap is not supposed to be a good thing. 
But believe me, if they win, this dude will be out there spoon-feeding that horse crap to everybody else. He is riding that thin clown line, and that's just the deal when you do things like proclaim that you know what the F you're doing in the middle of an NFL game. Hard count. Nobody budging. I mean, he did that. But even worse than that was comparing his quarterback to Michael Jordan. Again, don't get it twisted. I love his quarterback. I love everything about his quarterback. However, his quarterback's crowning achievement in the NFL to date is beating up on Daniel Jones and the Giants. That's not exactly MJ worthy. I know this is high praise, but to have him out there is like having, uh, nah, I shouldn't even go there, but like he's having like Michael Jordan out there. Like he's your leader. He's your leader. He's your guy. He's your, like, like that's, hopefully that's the biggest respect I can pay to him uh, compare, <laughs> comparing to his ability to be in on the field uh, to, a, to a Michael Jordan type. Do you think this dude, listen, I love Jalen Hurts, man. I do. I do. He has one career playoff win over Daniel Jones. Maybe we don't call him Michael Jordan just yet. Sirianni's doing a really nice job. He is. You ever get the sense, though, that maybe that mouth, which is working so fast, is one step ahead of that brain, even if he does know what the F he's doing? Like, I found myself constantly wanting to tell this dude, bro, calm the hell down. Slow down. And I'm pretty sure I'm far from the only one. Hertz is a great player. I said it. You know, if you want to get into this whole debate about whether or not he's elite, let me just say this. He's on the very short list for MVP this year. If you want to say he had a great year, but he's not a great player, fine. We're splitting hairs. Damn good player. To me, he's a damn good player and an even better leader and teammate. Dude is rock solid. Serious as hell. He sets the tone for the Eagles. In fact, he's actually the opposite of Nick Sirianni. However, he's no Michael Jordan. And I can't believe that I even have to say that. The ceiling is the roof. When Sirianni says, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, what he means is I can't wait to say this. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. I just know that the coach and the quarterback could not be any more different. Not only that, Sirianni couldn't be any more different than the last couple of star Philadelphia coaches. Doug Peterson, who won it all, and my main man, Andy Reid. But, although he couldn't be any more different than those dudes, he couldn't be any more like your average Philly bro, which is why Philly fan loves this dude. And pretty much nobody else does. You see, Sirianni bothers people so much that he caused a minor Twitter meltdown two separate times in the past week over, among things... Of all things, pizza. You know you hate a guy if you want to give this guy the hands over what pizza he eats. 
but it's a real thing. Last week, he talked about ordering in Pizza Hut, a Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza to the offensive staff room. And of course, Giants fan and everybody else in social media freaked out saying that Pizza Hut is ass. And yes, Twitter, hell, the entire internet is entitled to their opinion. Personally, not only do I not mind the hut, yeah, I said it, I don't mind the hut. I can remember many an airport run back in the day that involved the hut. In fact, I would go on a hut hunt at the airport. And by the way, since when did choice of pizza become a reason to go anyway? Because apparently it is. This week, Sirianni admitted to ordering in Little Caesars and everybody melted down all over again. Like everyone on social got about is melty is that weird fake cheese on takeout pizzas. Or better yet, it's got nothing to do with pizza at all, right? It's got nothing to do with pizza at all and everything to do with y'all hating on this guy and just looking for additional reasons to hate on this guy. Because it seems like people will hate on anything this dude does right about now. Nick Sirianni has basically become the villain of these NFL playoffs simply by being a Philly bro. And nobody is doing a better job right now proving Chase and Kelsey's point. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly. Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. So what I'm saying is I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm not rooting against them either. I'm not. I'm getting a huge kick out of Philly fan, Philly bro, Philly bro on the sidelines, the entire thing. What an enormous day Sunday for the city of Philadelphia. Really, the culmination of a wild, amazing sports year for Philly fan. You know that those light poles are going to be good and greased up come Sunday morning. You know the D-cell batteries will be out of stock. You know the Philly PD will be hiding their horses. And it's quite possible that the most Philly dude to ever coach an NFL team will be leading the Philly Eagles back to the Super Bowl. Philly fan, one thing, though. You know I respect you. You know I appreciate how you roll. You know I like you. I do like you. And I would never, ever tell you how to act after the game. Ever. Ever. I'm not going to tell you how to celebrate because nobody does it better. And I'm sure as hell not going to tell you what to do after a loss because I know, I know what kind of mood you're in after a loss. However, however, if the Eagles do win and they do advance, at the very least, can you not steal any of your own players' cars? Why do I say that? Just ask C.J. Gardner-Johnson because he had his whip stolen and that was after last weekend's win. Exactly who took my car. There you go. Thank you. I heard that. Yep. Yeah, if you want me to, I can send these clips. Yeah, it's good. I know exactly who stole my bro. Yeah, don't worry, buddy. We got y'all on camera. Wow. Wow. Wait, where was that? That's how y'all getting down? In Philly? Y'all still after a win? My man, that is so great. That's how you all get down? You steal a car after a win? (laughs) Incredible. How do you do one of your own like that after a win? 
after a playoff win. I mean, I could see you doing that if the overmatched Giants came into your house and punked you, but you knocked them the hell out. How is this dude not clear? Not only after winning a playoff game, but playing pretty big in a playoff game. I mean, if you have to steal someone's rig, steal each other's. I understand that your rig is not nearly as nice as his rig, but right now, they're the difference between whether or not many of you have a life that rules or a life that sucks. Why would you mess with that? What's next? Is somebody going to rip Jalen Hurts' rolly right off his wrist if they advance? At least wait until they lose before you start vandalizing and ripping their whips and tickers and breaking into their homes. I know times are tough, but use your head here. You're taking food off your own table, Philly fan. Oh, man, CJ. Sucks for you. I guess CJ must stand for car jacked. Like, if I crush a show, I would hate to go to the garage and see that I had my ride lifted and then find out it was a clone. CJ had a pick in the Giants' win. If he took that pick to the house, if he housed that pick, would you guys have robbed his house as well? Y'all getting down? CJ equals carjacked. Systems equals talent takeover. CJ equals carjacked. Philly fan, come on, man. You won. You're a game away from going back to the big game and you're stealing your own guys' cars. That is jacked up. And this whole thing about no one likes us. I do. I like you a lot. But no one likes Sirianni outside of town. And I don't think he gives a damn. 1-800. Like I said, he will have a big, giant bowl of horse crap to eat if they get beat. But if they win, he will be feeding everybody from that same bowl. Philly fan, get up in here. Philly fan, I just devoted 20 minutes of national airtime to you from California. Come on now. Hey, clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want. Bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Joined right now by Marcus Jones. Marcus, it is great to have you on the program. How are you? I'm doing good. It's great to be on here. 
It's great to have you on here. All right, so listen, let me start first with, I understand that it's all about the team. It's all about team goals, period. But as I mentioned, you had a tremendous rookie season. Most guys go their entire careers without earning first-team All-Pro honors, yet you accomplished it in year one. Were you expecting to make that kind of a dramatic impact right out of the box? And how pleased were you with the way things turned out for you and played out individually? Um, the main thing was just making sure that I know what was going on in the system. Uh, not too much. Uh, just making sure I was taking one day at a time and just making sure I know what to do on defense, special teams, or, you know, offense, wherever I was need to be to help the team. Well, you certainly did all that. Let me break this down another way. You joined Deion Sanders as the only players, the two of you, with receiving touchdowns, a punt return touchdown, and an INT return for a TD in the past 45 years. Like, that is an incredible stat. What's it feel like knowing that you did something that's only been done one other time in the past 45 years in this league and that the other guy to do it is prime? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, I looked up to Dion ever since I was little, uh, playing around, being DB, and just watching him. And to be able to be in that elite company is amazing and be able to have my name within next to his name is crazy marcus jones joining us listen i think i'm not even giving you enough credit here's the fact here's the kicker prime did it he did it too but he did it over a 14-year hall of fame career you did it over the course of a couple of weeks like it's mind-blowing it's actually insane to me did it feel insane or surreal to you, or did it feel like you were just doing what you've always done, just gone out there and balled? Um, the way that I was thinking about it was then um, just making sure that I could help the team, you know, week by week, and it just collected to happen that way. I wasn't worried about the stats and everything. I was worried about the W at the end of the game, you know, trying to put our team in the right place to win the game. So whenever that ended up coming up, I was like, oh, that's, that's crazy to hear. Marcus Jones joining us. All right, so why don't we talk about a few of these plays? You got Joe Cool. You got Joe Burrow on that pick six on Christmas Eve. What did you see on that play? What do you remember about that play? Um, that play, I was just making sure that I was reading my schemes right, uh, making sure that my eyes were in the right place. And uh, I seen him throw it, and I was just like, uh, let me make sure I catch it first. <laughs> then I ended up uh, catching it and just – going down the sideline to follow my blocking and everything like that. And my teammates were definitely blocking and making sure that they uh, don't get any uh, penalties or anything like that. And just following my blocking, that was the main thing. Marcus Jones joining us. Also, you don't see guys do this very often. You don't see guys take it to the house and then walk it off. But that's essentially what you did when you had that explosive punt return in Week 11 against the Jets. You went 84 yards to the house with five seconds left and a 10-3 win. Did you think they were going to kick it out of bounds and like take that opportunity away from you? And ultimately, what did you see on that play? Um, yeah, with the time on the clock, I was thinking that they were going to kick the ball out of bounds, but I was making sure that I was in the right position to where if they do kick it, um, we can hopefully make a play. Um, and as soon as I caught it, I ended up uh, seeing basically my teammates in the right spot and everything. And I just went down the sideline and my teammates just had the wall over there set. And I just made sure to make sure that I got through there. And then I seen the kicker and I was like, let me go ahead and, uh, make sure I get away from him and uh, make sure he don't tackle me about my shoelaces or anything. So after that, I was just like, I just got to make sure I keep running. Well, I bet, dude, there's no way you let the kicker make a play on you, not in that situation. Marcus Jones joining us. Now, I'm hearing it pretty clearly. You're going to do what you have to do. You're going to do what's asked of you. You're going to do what's best for the team. 
obviously, but you're somebody who's also proven that you can make an impact in all three phases of the game. I mean, if it were up to you, if it were up to you, where would you like to make the greatest impact? Where would you like to be? Um, I like to be defense, DB, whether that's in the slot or outside. That's the main thing I play my role in. Um, I'm a defensive back first. And however I can help the team after that, you know, offense or defense, then I mean, offense or special teams, then I'm cool with that as well. I get it. Marcus Jones joining us. Obviously, though, you acclimated really quickly. I'm curious about special teams. I mean, you seem to know exactly what you're doing. However, it does help when you've got some incredible special teams pros around. As an example, what's it like to watch Matthew Slater and the way he comes to work, the way he prepares, the way he goes about his business every single day? What's that been like for you? Um, just watching him is showing the professionalism, um, making sure that you know what to do, uh, how to present yourself around people, you know, how to treat people as well. And no matter how many years that he's been in the league, he treats every day the same. So just being consistent and just making sure that you know how to make your assignment and know how to uh, just basically do what you have to do. Marcus, every single great player I've ever spoken to, I mean, literally over the years, will say exactly that. It's all about consistency. Consistency in the way you work, consistency in the way you prepare, consistency in your process. The very best ones are the ones who consistently do the things that maybe they don't want to do, and they just do them over and over again, right? Because they know that they'll be better for it. Let me ask you this. What is the best advice that Bill Belichick has ever given to you other than do your job? Um, taking everything day by day. You know, there's going to be ups and downs. So basically just, I mean, it's kind of to back on a consistency as well, but just taking everything day to day and go one play at a time. And whenever that play comes, you know, there's going to be plays whenever you don't have it your way, but scratch that off your mind and go on to the next play. Talking to Marcus Jones, listen, I understand that you're worried about yourself and your uh, responsibilities. I'm curious where you come out on what happened to Mac Jones this year. Like, I'm a big Mac guy. I thought he had a great, great rookie year. There was certainly some regression this year. Not all his fault. He was dealing with a lot of things. Do you think that he can bounce back to the way he played his first year or maybe surpass that? Oh, for sure. I'm behind that guy 110%. I've seen his work ethic throughout the whole system and everything. Uh, how we take up on things, watching film. He's he's a top-tier guy when it comes to preparation. So I'm behind him 24-7. So what's your response to Bill O'Brien coming back as the offensive coordinator? What do you think that'll mean to him in the offense? I feel like that it would be one of those situations to where um, they've been under each other's tree type stuff um, before, and I just feel like that Mac is going to be ready to work, and I feel like uh, Coach O'Brien is going to be ready to work as well. So whenever that comes about, we'll handle that. Talking to Marcus Jones. So it's your first NFL offseason. I'm curious, how are you approaching it? Like, have you been watching playoff games as a fan like everybody else? Or if you're not participating, are you really not watching? And are you focused on getting your rest and recovery and your process? I'm still going up on my uh, recovery and rest and everything but I still have to watch uh the NFL you know being part of it and also was a fan whenever I was little I like to watch and still maintain and see what's going on and how the season goes glad to hear it all right so leave me with this I, I mentioned you got Joe Burrow on Christmas Eve how impressed are you with him and the Bengals and then how do you see that matchup Kansas City and Cincinnati on Sunday great matchup obviously there's some injuries but a great matchup who do you like there um those are two great top tier quarterbacks um, Joe is definitely a great uh, quarterback when it comes to reading defenses and putting the ball where it needs to be put. And then Pat Mahomes just has that vet that veteran quarterback style to where 
he he knows where to go with the ball. And if that's if that's not open, then he's gonna move out with his feet and put the ball where it needs to be as well. So um I honestly can't choose on who's gonna win and everything like that. So I'm just gonna have to sit back. It's gonna be a great game though. Listen, one quick thought. You just mentioned like Pat E. Patrick, if he's gotta move out with his feet, he can and improvise and make things happen. If he can't though, because that high ankle sprain how dangerous do you think that he still is, even if he can't get out and move around? I believe he's still dangerous due to the fact of his arm. He could put the ball wherever he wants to. So, I mean, with the ankle situation, you can't overlook his arm as well. So you got to be careful about that. Well, I agree. He is a first-team All-Pro as a rookie. He had an amazing rookie with the Patriots. He was the 85th pick overall in the draft out of Houston. Marcus Jones, our guest. Marcus, great to have you on the show. Really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com is with me now. You've actually started a new operation, a new wing, Omega Funding Solutions. Exactly what is that and how does that work? You file an amended payroll tax return with the IRS and the IRS is backed up. You know, they were hit by COVID too. They had the pandemic to deal with. So it's taking them anywhere from six months to a year to process these refunds. So we came out with a solution where we can help you get access to that cash earlier in as, as little as two weeks. See if you qualify for an ERC tax refund from the IRS, OmegaTaxCredits.com. All right, so if you own something, you should be able to do essentially what you want with it. I would say that. Now, that's not necessarily the case because if you're an NFL owner, you can't just do whatever you want. You can't just hire whoever you want. There are certain practices that are in place that sometimes they even pay heed to. However, generally speaking, if you own something, you can pretty much do whatever you want with it because you own it. It's a pretty American principle, right? I mean, I think for the most part, unless you have some sort of civic obligation or it's a publicly traded company, if you personally own something, you can do what you want. So I'm kind of torn on this, but I will acknowledge it is Jim Mercer's football team. He owns the Colts. You could talk about how he came into possession of the Colts, but the fact of the matter is he owns the Colts. So effectively he should be able to do almost anything he wants. Jim, we know what you want to do. We know you want to make that pancake flipping, high school coaching, hot take having, one and seven blundering interim, the permanent head coach. We know you want to do this. We know you want to do it because you so badly want to be able to jam it up our backside. You so badly want to reach for your phone and just start thumbing out lava. You so badly want to tell us how much you know and how little we know and how right you were and how wrong we are. You want all those things. And you want to tell us that if we bet against Jeff Saturday getting a second interview from your team, then we lost again. He already warned us not to bet against this guy. Remember, he challenged us to bet against Coach Monday. Quote, love to see it. You want to bet against this guy? Put your money down, people. <laughs> love to see it. Love to see it. You know, because I, I, I know what, what he's about, and, and so does Chris. And, and uh, yes, there's a maturation curve. Shula was 32 years old. 
He had three nondescript years with the Detroit Lions before he took over the reins in 1963. No, the game is not different. We don't build rockets to go to Mars. We're not nuclear scientists. That is none of our jobs here. It's a very simple jobs that we do here. Nick Sirianni comparing Jalen Hurts to Michael Jordan is laughing his ass off at Jim Ursay comparing Coach Tuesday to Don Shula. Less thinking equals talent takeover. So, yeah, you go ahead and you bet against this guy. <laughs> Love to see it. Yeah, but if we did, we all got paid, Jim. He went 1-7. So anyway, this Adam Schefter tweet got everybody all hyped this morning. And I'm not sure why since it's not any huge surprise, but, in fact, no surprise at all. But, quote, Colts interim head coach Jeff Saturday is scheduled to have his second interview today for the full-time head coaching job in Indianapolis, per sources. The Colts plan to conduct a second-round interview with seven head coach candidates, per source. End of quote. The only surprising part about that tweet is, Ursay is even bothering to go through the motions with the six others. Why? For who? For what? What's the point? We all know you know what you want to do. So just do it. It's your team. It's your team, Jim. And just to be perfectly clear, if it isn't already, Jeff Saturday is obviously the worst thing possible for Team Colts. Did he not prove that already? That wasn't a one or two game interim tryout or audition. He was there for eight games. He won the first against the Woeful Raiders. Ursay acted like they won the Super Bowl. And then he ripped off seven in a row. Losses. So this got to be the worst thing for Team Colts. But he'd be one of the best things for team content. One of the best things ever. That's my squad. That's the only squad I ever root for. Team content. So once again, man, get it over with. Get it over with, Jimmy. Hire the man. You had it exactly right from the beginning. He's Don Shula 2.0. I mean, never mind that part where he went 1-7. and seven. Never mind that part where he had a negative 87-point differential in that audition. Never mind that that audition was half a season, nearly. An eight-game audition. Let's not worry about that mountain of evidence. Just ignore the part where he was the one who oversaw the biggest collapse in NFL history against the Vikings. Or the fact that he lost to the Texans in Week 18 when they were trying to lock up the number one pick and had to lose to get it. Don't worry about any of that. And definitely do not listen to any of anybody around you begging you not to do this. Man, you know better. You damn near invented the game of football, Jim. You know that. You know how to build a winner. You've done everything on every level. You are a winner. You know exactly what all those stop signs that everybody in your life is throwing up are for. Therefore, ignoring. You know better than any of your football people. You know better than any people. You're Jim bleeping Ursay, man. You got a private jet. And a phone. And you're not afraid to use either one of them. You blow right through those stop signs, yo. Your team, dude. Your team player. 
do what the hell you want. Do what the hell you want. Ignore those people except to remind them that you just happen to be in the upper quartile of the top quartile of winners. Who the hell are they? What the hell have they ever accomplished? Even if that's not actually accurate. Even if it's not accurate that the Colts have been in the upper quartile of the top quartile of winners, whatever the hell that means, just ignore that. Hey, listen, my man, don't listen to anybody or anything except that voice in your head which continues to tell you to bring back the Flap Jack Flipper. Can I get a short stack with syrup? I'd like some strawberries. Maybe even some whipped cream. We're talking about IHOP. I love, I love, I love all those funky flavored maple syrups is that poisonberry I never even knew they made it strawberry poisonberry passion fruit I could drink it right out of the bottle chocolate chip banana whipped cream How about mixing some silver dollar pancakes? Hello, hello, hello. I am not high. You're hired, Coach Wednesday. This is so good. It's such a great show. Not this show. I mean their show. The Coach Ursay Saturday show. The pancake flipping, hot take having, morning show screaming, high school coach. Bring him back. Coach Wednesday already made his case. He told us he's got a clear vision of how to turn that team around, even though we saw no signs of that vision during the half of the year that he was there. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because he told us that the Colts are not nearly as far away as everybody thinks they are. Yeah, not nearly as far as y'all think. I've seen some articles here recently, so I can assure you a lot of shots fired, and uh, I don't think we're nearly as far off as you guys believe we are. In other words, you're keeping receipts. He sounds exactly like you, Jim. You're perfect together. You, Coach Tuesday, rocket ships, sausage making, the CIA. Indy's a great town. It all fits together perfectly. Listen, my man, I know you're on your own planet, Ursay, but that's all that matters. Deep down in that mind of yours, that beautiful mind of yours, you know what you want. Get it over with. Man, do it. Pull the trigger. Hire this guy. Do it. You know you want to. Run it back. Run it back. Run it back. Hello, hello, hello. A lot of shots fired. Is there any butterscotch syrup out there? Can I get another serving? Why are there ants crawling into that syrup? Is it, is it, is it not an all-you-can-eat pancake brekkie? Can I get a side of bacon? 
maybe some sunny side ex eggs up too. Sausage, sausage, man. Dude, my, my, my mind is now infected. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. The Lake Show is in that conversation because, much like the Cowboys, they're in that same category of gifts that never stop giving. They're also in the same category as one of the most valuable teams in all of sports. The Cowboys, the Lakers, both team content. Now, the Lakers do occasionally win now. I cannot take that away from them. They have improved. They're a little better. They just don't win anything big. Not this year, not last year, and definitely not last night. Because last night, alleged big bro got curb stomped by alleged little bro yet again. Which is kind of hard to believe. Like, just step back for a minute. For so long, the Clippers were such an embarrassment. You know, little bro who just got his ass kicked by big bro over and over and over again. Little bro wanted to hang around and big bro saying, man, beat it. You are so bad for my look. You're so embarrassing. Man, get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here before I kick your ass again. So let me say this again. And for the longest time, this has been a Laker town. The thing is, it hasn't been that way for a while. Like, it might still be a Laker town in perception and perspective, but the Clippers absolutely own the Lakers. They just do. I'm not sure there's another team in all pro sports that's as dominant against anybody as the Clippers have been against the Lakers. Rivalry? There is no rivalry here. And it's not because Big Bro keeps beating them down. It's the opposite. Last night made it 10 in a row for the Clips over the Brick Show. That dates all the way back to opening night in the bubble in Orlando two and a half years ago. That really is the last time the Lakers beat the Clippers. And if you want to start the clock at the, the, clock, the clock at the beginning of the 13 season, check this number. I want to correct this number. The Clippers have beaten the Lakers according to my count, 31 times in the last 38 games. Rivalry. 31 times in their last 38 tries against their so-called big bro. But the Lakers had a chance last night to stop the bleeding, at least for one night, because they got a career shooting performance out of LeCap, LeFib, LeGM. He went wild. Last night. And to give it to this old guy, man, he's been wilding all season long. Guy's been amazing. The GM pumped in 46. And more importantly, this guy made 9 of 14 shots from beyond the arc. Let's face it. He himself said it. We're not exactly a bunch of lasers out here. Himself included. This guy made 9. That gave him the most threes in any game in his entire career. Arguably the GOAT, and he's never made nine threes before last night. Nobody 
Nobody has ever made more threes in a game over the age of 35. Yet, LeCap did last night. And they still lost. Man, how many good nights, amazing nights, geriatric, legendary nights are they going to waste from this guy? They're wasting a year of this guy's life. Not only did they lose, they checked the hell out. They were in garbage time. They checked their starters out with more than five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Let me repeat that. The Lakers get 46, including nine trays from LeCap last night, and they still find themselves on the wrong end of garbage time against Lil Bro, who had already beaten them nine straight times. So needless to say, not a whole lot has changed for the purple and gold Titanic since the last time we checked in with them. That's why I don't check in with them anymore. Nothing changes. That ship is still cracked in half, and it's not going to glue itself back together. The GM is still bawling out and still screaming, and it still doesn't matter. That ship's going down either way. That ship is going to hit the bottom of the ocean either way. I don't even care about the trade they just made. I mean, they're trying, I guess. At least Rob Lowe Palenka is still rearranging the deck chairs. Earlier this week, he did send Kendrick Nunn and a couple of first-rounders. Second-round picks, I should say. Because that's been the whole thing, right? They're not going to part with first-rounders. And in return, they get Rui Hachimura. Yesterday, he told the media, Rob Lopalenka, that the Lake Show does remain a championship or bus organization. Yeah, I think the calculus for the Lakers is um, to win a championship or not. There's no in-between or incremental growth. So as we analyze opportunities, we have to do it through that lens. And I said this at the beginning of the season. If, if there's an opportunity to get all the way to the end and win a championship, there's no resource we'll hold on to if we feel like that's there. But at the same time, the, the completely unwise thing to do would be to shoot a bullet early and then not have it later when you have a better championship move you could make. So that's, that's a, a really um, delicate calculus, and it's something that the entire front office, you know, we evaluate with all the moves. I think my man's hoping to just put us all to sleep so we don't react and we forget the question. Dude, I don't think it takes somebody to be a teacher of AP calculus or even a student of advanced mathematics to calculate or with one of those crazy fancy calculators with all those buttons that you have no idea what they're for. We don't need any of that to calculate that the Lakers aren't going to win crap this year. And that's not advanced calculus. That's basic common sense. The only math you need here is basic arithmetic. As in, until you add street clothes Davis back into the equation, there is nothing to see here at all. And even after he does come back, there still won't be very much to see. But maybe, 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 maybe AD will give them a chance to beat their new big brothers in their last chance this season come April at the Crypt. Circle that down your calendar. The Crypt may as well just be renamed Clippers House. 
I mean, for so long, they got mocked so hard for being the other tenant. They're the landlord, man. They're the owner of that crypt. Because they do own the Lakers. They own the home of the Lakers. I'm telling you, there was a time when a win over the Clippers was automatic for the Lakers. Not some urban myth. It's true. That really did used to happen. The Lakers would clock in, beat down the Clippers with whoever they had. Regardless, clock in, clock out, wash, rinse, repeat, hit the clubs. If the Clippers actually did beat the Lakers ever, ever, it would lead Sports Center. Every local news broadcast in this town would preempt the normal news with headline, this just into the newsroom, the Clippers actually beat the Lakers. They would interrupt programming. You know, normally sports would come in right after the weather report with Dallas storms or Seattle rains. Not on those rare occasions. Hell no. I mean, that was a thing. I mean it. Like, right to the top of the newscast. You want calculus, Rob? Let me give you some calculus. I'll give you some math. Zero people are shocked that you got boat raced by the Clippers on one of LeCap's best nights ever. Zero. Less than zero. The needle doesn't even move. The only thing that moved in SoCal was that 4.2 quake in SoCal in Malibu last night. I'm assuming that the PCH did not slide into the ocean because we would have led the show with that. Scary though, man. There's some really expensive real estate down there. Broad Beach did not slide down the coast. That's the sound of LeBron. LeBron was asked how it felt to pump in nine threes and still losing garbage time to hated little bro. This is what he had to say. LeBron, LeBron, when told that nobody had ever pumped in nine threes over the age of 35, and he just did, and they still got blown out, was asked how that felt. LeBron, when asked how it felt to know that millions of people worldwide started vomiting all over themselves during Space Space Jam 2, had this to say in response. The more things change, the more they stay exactly the same. My man, you're riding first class. Far you, I'd jump off that boat. Get one of the rafts, dude. It's for you. Everybody else in coach can wait until you and your fam are in the raft. You know how that goes. LeBron, his fam, then women, then children, then coach. Steven Stamkos is my guest. Steven, it's great to have you on. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on today. It's great to have you on today. So you did it. You're now a member of the 500 Club. Listen, I understand that you're not done yet, but that is pretty exclusive, and it's a pretty awesome club to be in. My guy Ray Ferraro said it best, I think. It's rarefied air. What's it feel like to be a member of that incredible fraternity? <laughs> it, it feels pretty pretty surreal, to be honest with you. I think it was I was trying not to let it weigh in uh, on me a little bit as I got close to 500. I went in a little slump there, and I was getting asked about it every day. And 
um, when I finally scored that 500th, it was kind of uh, it was kind of celebration and just a release of some of the anxiety that comes around that. You knew it was coming. You didn't know when, but um, it's certainly been an, an amazing experience to share with everyone that's helped me get here. And like you said, it's, it's a pretty exclusive club. And when you take a second to sit back and and realize some of the names that are in there. I mean, there's legends of the game, so it's pretty cool. Steven Stamkos is joining us. I'll tell you what's even more exclusive. What's incredible is, you're right, there are some legends of the game. Only 47 players in the history of the game have scored 500 or more, but of that group, only eight had a hat trick on their 500 nights, something you did. Of these eight, maybe you've heard of a couple of these dudes. <laughs> Jean Bellevue, Gretz, Mario, Mess, Holly, Yager, Matt Sundin, and you. I mean, that's incredible. What's it sound like to hear your name in that group? That's uh, that's amazing. I mean, I grew up idolizing a lot of those players that, that you mentioned. So um, to, to be on that list was pretty cool. It was kind of funny when I got to 500. I'd had a ton of chances the couple games before. Uh, I couldn't score. And after the 500, I kind of joked with the guys that, okay, they're going to start coming now because um, as soon as you get that, at 500, you're just playing the game. You're you're reacting. It's it's kind of out of your head a little bit. And um, you know, I've scored a few after that, so it's been nice to see the puck go in the net. I think that makes sense, Stephen. What about number 500? Like you've never had trouble finding the back of the net. That's never been an issue. But can you take us through number 500? What did you see? And then how nice was it to get number 500 in the fashion you did? In other words, nothing cheap or fluky about that one. Well, it was funny because the the, the game before, a couple games before in St. Louis, I, Kucherov gave me a great play. I had literally an open net. They had pulled the goalie, and I completely whiffed on the puck. And that night I remember going back thinking, okay, I guess you really don't want to score your 500th on an empty netter as, as mad as I was. And it worked out. Um, Kalorn made an unbelievable play, probably one of the nicest plays he's made in his career to get around the defender in Vancouver, and I pretty much had a an open net to tap it in. But it was nice to do it um, on a really nice play um, with the goalie in the net. I did it in, you know, if you weren't going to do it at home, to do it in a Canadian city too where the, the fans actually gave me a standing ovation thereafter. They really appreciated that feat. So as a player, that's something that you remember for a long time when you have a reception like that. Um, not in your home rink. It's uh, it's pretty rare and it's pretty special. Steven Stamkos joining us. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to say, obviously, you would love to get it at home, but I thought it was really, really nice. A great gesture that the fans in Vancouver, who obviously know, gave you that standing ovation. How much more special is it knowing what you've had to overcome in the way of adversity and injury in recent years to get to this, and not only to get to this point and this milestone, but to actually level up and even raise your game up? Yeah, it's it's something I'm extremely proud of. I mean, I, I you realize injuries are part of of the sport and it comes with the territory, but I've had some some really severe ones, some fluky ones, some frustrating ones and you know, there's there's just that fire and and desire to to prove people wrong that maybe think that, you know, you were done or or you couldn't improve or couldn't get better. So to get back to that, you know, level that I knew I was at pre you know, injury was something I, I take a lot of pride in. Obviously, uh, the people who have supported me from day one, you know, your friends, your your family, most importantly, but even the training staff, all the people that have worked with you, you know, your teammates, your coaches who have believed in you. I mean, it's it's satisfying for them, too, and, and that's great that you can share some of these moments with them 
um, because they know what you've gone through um, in some of the tougher times with the injuries. And um, it's certainly great to see how they respond to um, this as well. Stephen, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably there was no shortage of people doubting whether you can make it back. Maybe, maybe even some people in your own organization. I would imagine there were some dark times where maybe there were days where you yourself wondered, like, not not that everybody's gone through that, but everybody's going through something. I want to ask you, how did you do it? Like, how? what was your mindset during the toughest times, and how were you able to come all the way back? Well, I mean, it's it's not like you're sitting there every day um, thinking, you know, you're gonna get back to that level. There are tough times. I mean, we're all we're all human. You, you have some of those negative thoughts sometimes. Some of those days where you don't feel like going in for rehab or you don't think it's gonna be worth it. But I think it is. It 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 helps you when you're surrounded by people who who believe in you and and push you. And I think. You know, I, I have two young boys now, and it changes your perspective on life pretty quick. When when you have young children, um, you know they they mean the world to you, and and you're really their their role model. They see what you do, and even when when they're young, I mean they they want to emulate you, and, and you just want to be the best person you can. And and part of that is is kind of showing them, you know, what hard work and dedication can do, and and how you can be successful in whatever aspect in life. So. Um, I think that threw a new perspective on things for me, too, and it's been fantastic. Steven Stamko is joining us for a few more moments. Very clearly, when you lay it out like that, it's it's clear that you are way more than just a great, great goal scorer. I'm curious, how much pride do you take in the fact that you've got that C on your sweater, and then what's it mean to be recognized as truly one of the great captains and leaders that the sport has seen? Well, that, that means a lot to me. It's something that... Um, I've grown into over my years here in Tampa. I've been surrounded by some amazing leaders, and you just try to pick little things from each guy as you progress. But the moment you get that C on your jersey, um, you know, it's it's real. All eyes are on you, and that's something I learned uh, at a young age when I had a guy like, you know, Marty St. Louis as a captain in Tampa was whether you were in the gym or you were doing uh, media or you were um, – you know, in practice, everyone is watching what the captain is doing and you need to set a standard and you need to be accountable. You just can't speak the words. You need to go out and do it yourself. And to this day, to our Stanley Cup run last year, I've I've always constantly tried to improve in, in those areas. And um, like I said, I've been fortunate to play with some amazing leaders, but it's one of the greatest um, things that you can have thrown upon as an individual is to be trusted to to be a leader. And it's it's something that I certainly don't take lightly and um, to this day still still trying to get better. Yeah, Stephen, I actually love that conversation. I don't think that a lot of sports fans really understand the magnitude of what it means to wear that C on that sweater and be in that room. For instance, we always talk about the importance of being a franchise quarterback and how it's what you said, right? It's not just being the guy that plays best on the biggest stage or the first guy in or the last guy out or the fact that all eyes are on you. There's something really, really unique about being a captain in the NHL, and it's always been that way, and I'm glad that you brought that up and shared that. Before you go, I mentioned that 47 guys are in that club, the 500-goal club, but only 23 have done it with one team. What does that represent to you, and then how much more special is it knowing that you did it with this organization? Yeah, that was very special. I knew when I signed my last contract that um, that was the intention was to hopefully finish my career with, with one team. Not many guys 
in in sports today get an opportunity to do that. I think in the last 15, 10, 15 years, we've seen a lot more, um, you know, really good players that are jumping around in, on teams in different sports. And I think hockey is just one of those sports where I know for me, you know, loyalty is, is a big thing. You know, Tampa trusted me and taking me first overall in 2008 to, to help turn things around. And I've, I've seen some of the dark days and, and that's what kind of motivates you to see the, the great days, to see the glory days. And to say I've been through all that with one organization is, is very special. You want to see things through as, as an athlete. And hopefully there's, there's more glory days. We've had an unbelievable run the past five, six years here in Tampa, but, um, that was something that was important to me um, and certainly important to my family with how we've been treated here in Tampa. And, um, we, we certainly can't pitch ourselves anywhere else. Hopefully there's a lot more hockey to be played. I'm, I'm feeling great, and um, but certainly very important and, and pretty special to do it with one team. Yeah, it's been an incredible run. I could walk off on that, but I've got one bonus question for you because you mentioned you were taken first overall. It's true. Like When you were taken first overall, obviously you were an extremely gifted scorer and a sniper. Guys would talk about like when you shot the puck, it just it just sounded different. Like it came off the stick differently. It just sounded differently. Everybody knew you were going to be an absolutely prolific scorer. You could have been that and only that and had an amazing career and been a star in the league. But why was it so critical for you to develop every aspect of your game and become such a dedicated and committed two-way player? Well, I think that's something as you mature as, as a player, like you mentioned, you come in this league as a high pick. There's expectations, obviously, um, but you're used to scoring and getting those points, and you don't realize how hard it is um, to not only do that but to win. As a, as a little kid uh, growing up, you dreamt of one thing, and that was winning the Stanley Cup. Until you get some of that experience, you don't realize how hard it is to actually get there. And it takes time to mature as a player and as a person to realize how hard it is that you have to work um, within your team to achieve that dream. And and I always bring up Marty St. Louis as, as a guy who was a mentor of mine. Who He was the one that, that taught me how to be a pro. And that wasn't just on the ice. That was away from the ice. That was um, in the gym, watching video, all those things that you maybe don't realize as an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid playing in the best league in the world, just having fun. So it takes a, it takes a while to gain that, that, that process and that thinking. And like I said, it's, it's paid off the last couple of years. I think even as a team, we, we went through some really tough times and that hardened us a little bit. And now we rely on those experiences when we get to the playoffs. So um, listen, it's, it's amazing to score goals and to get points. Uh, everyone wants that, but at the end of the day, you ask any player, they trade all that for championships. And we've been fortunate to have a couple here, and those are those are the most amazing memories that that you have as as an athlete. You bet. And I know you're not done yet. I know you're still pushing. I love hearing you talk about Marty St. Louis. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. I always love talking to him. What a great dude. What a great player. What a great leader. Yeah. And I know they'll be talking about you the same way you talk about him. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champ. He made it to the 500 club. I think, Steve, one day we'll be talking about the 600 club, but I know one day at a time, one goal at a time. Listen, great to have you on the show. I really, really appreciate that conversation and really nice to have you, Stephen. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Good night now!